0: This week's episode of the Doctors of Running podcast is sponsored by Running Warehouse. Runners, this is not a drill. The Asics Nova Blast 3 is now on sale at Running Warehouse. We repeat, the Nova Blast 3 is now on sale at Running Warehouse. A favorite of our team over the past year, it's a great shoe for those who want a soft, durable, daily training shoe for easy and longer miles. Our chief editor and founder, Matt Klein, calls the FF Blast Plus midsole highly cushioned and soft, which, when combined with a high stack height, provides a protective yet surprisingly light ride underfoot. Head over to Running Warehouse to get your hands on a pair of discounted Nova Blast 3 today. Find a link to the sale in our description and a full written review of the shoe on our website for more details. Everyone, welcome to the Doctors of Running podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, talk about the art and the science of the things that we're putting on our feet, and sometimes the art and science of the things that are happening to our feet and other parts of our lower extremity and our body. And that is where I'm coming in. So I'm Matt, for those who you probably know who I am, if you've been following this podcast. So what I'm hoping to do today is do a solo episode sharing quite a bit about what I have learned about Achilles tendons, random mechanics and things that have really been blowing my mind. And for those who don't know, so I'm finishing up my PhD and hopefully by the time this releases, I will have all my data collection done because I've done 27 people so far. I have two subjects scheduled and the one last one that I'm trying to schedule in here to go test uh, so I can finally finish this PhD after four and a half years and get some stuff, uh, more stuff published and share with all, all of you what's happening to our bodies as we age and what we can do about it. So those who don't know, again, I'm doing a dissertation in uh, on master's runners and trying to understand why is there a higher occurrence of Achilles tendinopathy as we age. For those who don't know, in younger runners, the most common injury type tends to be more knee-related, patellar tendinopathy, um, iliotibial stuff. Um, when you get older, that really shifts to being much more of Achilles tendinopathy being the number one, calf being number two, and then hamstring and hamstring tendon issues being number three. So there's a really big difference between younger and older runners in terms of injury risk or injury types. The injury risk also goes up as we get older, and there's some theories as to why, but nobody's really tested this. And this is where I am coming in trying to go, hey, so I'm doing observational research comparing masters runners who do And do not have Achilles tendon issues and trying to see what's different and what risk factors might be playing in to make people more at risk for this. I have published a systematic review on the difference between younger and older runners, where I took all the evidence from the last 20 plus years, tried to go, hey, what's going on? If you are curious about this, there is a paywall. It's it's, uh, published in the Journal of Sports Biomechanics. That's my second chapter of my dissertation. If you would like to read that, please email us and I will happily send that to you for free just, I, I think information should be shared. So what I found was that actually between younger and older runners, the knee doesn't change that much. What really changes is the hip and the ankle. So despite having a shorter stride, which cadence doesn't change by the way, that's a whole another podcast on that cadence doesn't change. Stride length shortens, hip extension lengthens, Still doesn't make sense to me. Um, but your ankle joint really changes, especially all the things related to propulsion. So ground reaction forces, like when you land the reactive force that like the, the, the when you, you know, when you put force into something, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So the propulsive forces decrease at the ankle. Joint powers decrease the ankle. Everything related to propulsion and moving forwards really decreases at the ankle. Range of motion, like peak joint angles really don't change, supposedly. Um, But what does change is a lot of the forces associated with that. So we'll talk about that in just a second. So that was kind of the background for this. And as I have dived into this, although I have not completed my data analysis, because I don't have all my subjects, some of the things that I've seen have really made me think. And then some other things that I've learned along this journey, like, oh, I should have tested that, um, are things that I want to share with you. And one of the biggest things I want to share with you is helping you understand what are tendons, and especially with the Achilles tendon, although the stuff we're going to talk about also applies to the hamstring tendon and the patellar or the quad tendon. What is really going on with them? What's their function? Can we talk about injury stuff a little bit? And then what can we do about this in regards to what how, aging and, and pathology? So we're going to do a little tendon talk today, which Nathan and I talked a teeny bit about this a couple weeks ago. But I want to give you a little bit more because I feel like tendons are very, very misunderstood. And I say this as somebody who I have a doctorate degree in physical therapy and have been working in a, on a PhD for years in this. And I'm still learning new stuff all the time. So hopefully I can share some of that with you. So let's 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 share a little bit on, on master's runners. So master's runners, again, for my definition, I define it as over 50 because a lot of the evidence suggests that there are three time points where our bodies really change in terms of the musculoskeletal system. 30 is where it starts. 50 is where it accelerates. And then 75 is where it really accelerates. So I think USATF, if you're listening, I think having 35 to 40 being when Masters age group starts, totally wrong, different podcast, but just a heads up. So as you get older, there are a lot of things that change. I already mentioned that there's a higher risk of Achilles tendon issues, injury risk changes, but there's also some changes to your musculoskeletal system that may or may not make put you more at risk. Before we go there, I need you to understand what a tendon is. So tendons really are basically like your rubber bands for your muscles. They are defined as kind of the connective tissue, elastic tissue that connects a muscle to a bone. And they are not contractile, so to speak. It's not an actively contracting tissue. It's a tissue that acts like a rubber band. If you load it and stretch it, there is going to be some out where it kind of snaps back. At least it should If it's working correctly, okay, it doesn't have as good blood flow as muscles. It can get stronger and it can change. If you don't load it enough, it can definitely get weaker in terms of have a lot less stiffness and elasticity. If you load it enough, it can actually get stronger and it can get more stiff. So this tissue does adapt, even though it doesn't have great blood flow, it is very much alive. It's got very good nerves, um, innervation. There's a lot of very interesting things about it, but it functions as elastic energy storage. So specifically the calf, I'm sorry, the ga- the um, gastrocnemius and the Achilles tendon, the way things work is as you're running, the first half of when your foot's on the ground called stance, when you land, you're loading that tendon, you're lengthening it, you're stretching out the rubber band. As you get to the second half, when you start pushing off, it's not just the calf contracting, it is also the Achilles tendon starting to release that energy, snap back and help you push your foot off. You can imagine the more stiff this thing is, the more energy you're going to be able to return. Maybe that's not the best phrase, but the more elastic, more stiff, the more you're going to pop off the ground, which has been associated with better running economy. So those runners that are stiffer within reason tend to have are more efficient. They use less energy and, I want to say they're faster, but speed is kind of its own thing because it's also how much force you can produce as well. But a lot of elasticity does play a role in those elite runners that you see, right? Very economical. They can go for a long time. Again, in the distance running world, sprinting, not as much my expertise, but distance running, definitely. So again, it acts like energy storage, okay? it is stores your energy and then the, the forces and then it pops you back off. Force is not the right term. So what happens when you irritate this thing? So let's talk about what the difference between tendonitis and tendinopathy is. So a tendonitis is a acute, meaning it just happened literally like a couple seconds ago, a day ago, um, an acute irritation of a tendon. Okay. There is usually an inflammatory response. Often it can usually be at the insertion point or one of the midpoints. Very rarely we see like in the middle. That's different from something like a tear where you actually rupture or rip through the thing. That's a rupture or tear that is very different than a tendonitis or tendinopathy. Although you can often have a tendonitis with a rupture or tear, they can go together, but a pure tendonitis is acute. It just happened. There's inflammatory stuff. They generally respond well to anti-inflammatories, which makes sense. That may not be the best thing because there's some evidence to just that might slow down healing. Different conversation. But it just happened and there's inflammation. Okay. Things are pissed off. Your body's trying to calm stuff down. That's a tendonitis. Those aren't actually very common because what the evidence suggests is a lot of times we don't even notice the first time these things get injured. What's actually more common is something called a tendinopathy, meaning you've had a chronic irritation of the tendon. There is no longer the normal inflammation. These are the things that do not respond to anti-inflammatories. People are like, oh, I took this. doesn't seem to work. It's like, yeah, because – it's not inflammatory. It's not acute. This has been going on for a long time. And not to scare you, that also usually means there's inter- some internal degeneration of the tendon. You've been irritating this thing enough that it hasn't had time to fully adapt, recover. So your body's just throwing scaffolding on. Those connective tissue fibers aren't aligned as well anymore. You, It's like port, like a house that kind of broke down. You're just trying to like put pieces back together really quick, and it's kind of like a mess. We found that's actually what happens to the tendon. It gets irritated. You never get a chance for it to actively recover the right weight. And that doesn't mean rest, by the way. And we'll talk about that in a second. It just means things are chronically irritated and chronically changed. There is evidence, by the way, that suggests that about 50% of runners have an Achilles tendinopathy and have no idea. Pain is not not to freak you out. Pain is not the best indication of your health. Or of healing. And we'll again talk about in a second. So you can have this pathology and not have any pain. We found 50% of runners have it. And those runners, at least 50% of them have it on one, if not both sides. And again, they have no idea. So this stuff happens. Don't freak out. Okay. That's what I was just to worry about going, oh my gosh, I had this thing I have to worry about. It, it happens, right? Probably, you know, there is some suggestion. Maybe it's a normal part of aging. Who knows? I'm still going to help you try to fix it and treat it. So... As you get a tendinopathy, usually what happens is you start losing some of that stiffness. Remember I talked about that there's an optimal level of stiffness that you want. If you have that good level of stiffness in your lower extremity and the tendon and the muscle, when you land, you absorb you, you absorb that into the tendon and then you release it really well. If, it's, if you're too stiff, you can't get that thing to move at all. And then you actually have a higher injury risk. If it's not stiff enough, The opposite happens where you can't absorb stuff and the muscles end up having to work way harder and put more and more stress for the area. So you want an optimal level of stiffness. Tendinopathies often cause a loss of that stiffness because the tendon, that rubber band, isn't absorbing energy and storing it elastically the way it's supposed to, right? The the tissues aren't lining up they're not these nice fibers anymore they're just kind of scaffold and those don't those don't those don't function super well they can function well enough for you to continue continue running and a lot of us to continue to run through it but it's just not going to be the same as it was the same thing happens with aging there are mechanical changes that can occur with age you tend to lose some of that stiffness and again I'm talking about like the ability when I define stiffness as the ability of a tissue to absorb shock and, and lastly, like pop back. Right. So how much, I guess, I don't know how to explain this. Like your like almost like your pop off, right? Like how much you can land and snap back your snap back, so to speak. Right. So as you get older, you also tend to lose a lot of that. And so instead of having a stiff and elastic, uh, lower extremity, you tend to have just a stiff extremity that doesn't adapt as much range of motion even though i've told you that doesn't really change and you tend to adapt in certain ways so you have stiff joints and don't shock absorb as much rather than like elastically landing okay so there is something related to age we don't quite have that nailed down but that's something that definitely happens okay so with those changes that happen, you can either have those loss that loss of stiffness and loss of those mechanical properties with aging. You can also have it with Achilles tendinopathy, and there's some suggestions those might happen together. So here's the part where we talk about things that blew my mind not too long ago. So I don't know if you know this, and I say this after having learned this going through running courses, after going through all this continuing education, after a doctorate degree, and now working on a second one, when you are running... I don't know if you know this, but your muscles, your calf is right. So a tendon is the connection between a muscle to the bone. Your calf muscles, when you are trying to do things, their their extension, so to speak, is the Achilles tendon. Okay. When you're running, this current work by Adrian Lay found that as you run, your calf muscles optimally don't change range of motion very much. They have they do what's called an isometric contraction, meaning the muscle length doesn't change. That's like if I, you know, grab a book over here. If I hold this up in one place, my biceps right now. For those who can see me on YouTube, is hold is an it's an isometric contraction. It's not changing length. Which think about that for a second. So supposedly, when you run, your calf muscles really don't change length that much. You go through a massive range of motion at the ankle. You need at least 50 degrees of ankle plantar flexion, which is when you point your toes down, your ankle down. You need at least 20, 30 degrees of dorsiflexion, which is when your toes come up. How can you tell me that you, your range of motion doesn't change? At the calf, at the muscle. So what happens is the majority of that range of motion is actually supposed to be coming from your Achilles tendon which is amazing to me. It is one of the largest, if not the largest tendon in the body. But when you're running, supposedly the range of motion that your calf actually changes is very little compared to how much gets loaded and how much length changes through the Achilles tendon. So that blew my mind and going, wow, this is a really important structure for running. Similar evidence has found the same thing for the hamstring tendon and the quad tendon, which totally changed my understanding of going, wait, how are we actually training these? We typically do these like deep squats or these great, these big heel raises, and wait, what if this is just an I, these muscles are an isometrically contracting? Are we training this the right way? We don't know, by the way. We just know that these don't the, the muscles don't change as much range of motion through this as we thought. Being efficient during running, a lot more of that's supposed to come from the tendon. Now, when you have a tendinopathy, or again, tendinopathy plus age, which I don't know which one came first, chicken or the egg or that one, you start losing some of that elasticity. Okay, so more if you don't have as much tendon elasticity, that doesn't move as much, you're gonna have to use a lot more muscle force to try to get through that, which is not as efficient, right? Instead of storing the energy, you're having to create it, shock absorb, and move forwards. That is a lot more energy and work, okay, which might also explain some of the things that older runners losing speed, losing elasticity as they age may or may not explain that. But we also know. tendinopathy like the pathology that tendon increases as we get older. So why? Like what's happening? So let's go back a second and talk about tendinopathy from what we know in in average and, and younger individuals, like quote unquote under 50. So the current evidence on this stuff is once you have these things, which is a lot of risk factors, by the way. So the crazy ones, For those who don't know, certain types of antibiotics are actually a risk factor for Achilles tendon issues. Excessive alcohol consumption, I'm sorry to tell you this, is also a risk factor. But other things for the Achilles tendon, poor calf strength is a risk factor. Um, Poor hip strength is actually a risk factor. Excessive pronation or supination, so a lot of frontal plane changes, which by the way, as you age, that frontal plane stuff didn't change as much. So I wasn't as worried about that. Hip strength changes can change. Loss of range of motion at the hip or the ankle, so either too much or too little, can be a risk factor. But member strength seemed to be the bigger one. What's also interesting about that is that as you get older... You tend to lose calf strength more than any other area in the body. We still aren't really sure about this. But for any, if you ask any physical therapist that works with older individuals, I'm a geriatric clinical specialist, calf strength is not good. And that's a problem because it's so important for so many things. It is your primary propulsive muscle during running. Your hip gets more involved, by the way, when you run faster, but at most speeds, your calf is the main thing pushing you forwards. For those not running, it is also a primary propulsive muscle during walking. It's also a very important muscle for balance um, and for posture because it helps hold you up and can hold that contraction. So if you start losing that function, that's really problematic. Calf strength is really important for balance, for fall risk reduction, and also for general gait speed. So if you're losing that, that's a problem. Now, nobody's really looked at this in master's runners, but we know that master's runners don't maintain their strength if they don't strength train. Running itself doesn't maintain strength. Sorry, that's why we all tell all the runners you need to strength train a little bit. You don't have to do it be a weightlifter, but you need to strength train. Running doesn't maintain your strength, okay? Weightlifting, the the masters powerlifters and bodybuilders, they maintain strength really really well, right? They have com- comparable strength to young people, okay? But masters runners they don't maintain strength. You maintain your aerobic capabilities you also don't get great bone adaptation to this. Please go listen to the episode with Doctor Rich Willie where we talked about this, and he's going to mention some of the stuff in that episode. That running only has a osteogenic effect, like a positive effect, for like the first minute or so, and then that's it. You go for a sixty-minute run, you only got benefit from the first one or two minutes. So strength is something we lose as we get older. It's also a significant risk factor for Achilles tendon issues because. You need that isometric muscle contraction or at least the small movement to help protect the tendon and form a stable base for it. So you might be asking, oh my gosh, does this mean running is bad for my tendon? No, actually quite the opposite. That movement is good for your tendon. Rest is one of the worst things you can do actually, unless of course you've ruptured it and you've you've had a repair and that's a different story. We're not talking about ruptures. We're talking about tendinopathies. So tendons respond very well to movement. If you don't load them, they tend to lose the elasticity. They can get weaker. Okay. For those that have a true tendinopathy, you need to load this thing appropriately for guess how long? It takes nine to 12 months for a true tendinopathy with appropriate rehab to actually heal. Okay, and that doesn't necessarily mean to actually change the structure because I mentioned there's some degeneration for you to get your function truly back and not have a high recurrence. Right. It takes nine to 12 months of loading this thing to actually make a difference. And we've seen, which is super interesting, is that the mechanic, the tendon, like if you do a diagnostic ultrasound or you look at this thing under imaging, this the some of the generation doesn't always change, but the function definitely will. Now, some people are saying, oh, well, when's the pain go away? The pain goes away long before you start seeing some permanent changes in the tendon. So this is what's hard for people with tendinopathies and probably why the recurrence rate is so high. So do you know what the biggest risk factor for a tendinopathy is? Having it in the past. If you've had it before, you have a high risk factor for it in the future. Because most people, when they learn what to do with this, they go until it stops hurting and then they go right back to what they were doing which isn't enough time. Pain is not a good indicator of your rehab or your function. That's not to make you more paranoid because pain is also a threat response and like and can be modulated by fear. But you need to keep doing some of this stuff that I'm going to suggest to you to improve the function for longer than just pain. It needs to be a minimum of nine to 12 months. Okay. So How do you heal a tendinopathy? You've lost some calf strength. Things are irritated. You're having a little difficulty running. Some days you can run. Some days you can't. Tendons aren't always consistent. And you're getting frustrated going, I really want to deal with this. So here's what I've learned. So... Tendons do need load. They need appropriate load. You can't overload them or they, they get pissed off. The things that tend to really irritate them is a lot of fast running and high load when they're not ready for it. So a lot of people go, yeah, I can run slow, but as soon as I start to run fast, it gets really irritated. Yeah, because fast high loads is the most stress you can put through a tendon. You have to start somewhere and slowly work your way up. So if, for people that are tolerable to it, if your tendon can handle it, which, by the way, classic tendinopathy, it'll ache and hurt when you first run. Then, when it warms up, it feels better. And then, as soon as you stop, it tends to hurt a lot when we're after the run. That's a classic tendon. Like if somebody's telling me that during my subjective, my interview with them, as I'm doing the examination, that's a classic tendon type thing. So you can do that if you can keep your symptoms within a tolerable level, which again for runners is a whole different story. So a little running is is okay if its your symptoms are tolerable, but it's got to be something you got to be slow, easy pace, and ease your way into. Again, faster running is harder on the tendon you really want to gently load this stuff at first and not overdo it and progressively load this stuff over time. Once you calm the thing down, because if it's pissed off, there's no point in really loading this thing really hard because it's not ready for it. It's got to heal a little bit, but you need to get it moving. Once you have gotten it calmed down a little bit, then you need to load it the right way. So the current evidence on tendinopathies in the low extremity is there's two things that really seem to be beneficial over a long period. Either the classic people have heard is eccentrics. However, just eccentrics by themselves aren't as effective as heavy eccentrics and what's called heavy slow resistance training. So we have found that high weight. Tendons tend to respond to really well, but not fast. They tend to respond really well to eccentrics, which is where you have a muscular tendinous unit and you slowly lengthen it under tension. That's like if you go up on your toes, if you're gonna load this, it's when you slowly come down. So you go up at a decent speed, slowly come down. Concentric is when you shorten the muscle, like when you point your toe, we point your foot. Eccentric would be you're loading this thing and then lengthening the calves under tension. Okay. So heavy, slow resistance training, on the other hand, is just picking up a heavy weight and doing very slow, controlled movements through your full range of motion, okay? Eccentrics is just focusing on the downward motion with heavy heavy weight. Heavy, slow resistance training is going both up and down. There's These things have been compared. They found that they're actually pretty similar. There's some better patient... um, focused out like improvements so people tend to feel better with some of the heavy slow resistance training early on but long term if you look at this stuff over a year the outcomes are fairly similar so you have options i tend to like heavy slow resistance training because more simple you don't have to set yourself up weird just pick a heavy weight and you go up down load it okay so slower activity with higher weights tendons tend to love Right. So if you do this, so if you take a break, if you're driving, don't do this. But if you're listening to this and not running and not doing anything else, go grab something heavy and go do some calf raises, but go like go on one leg and go super slow up and super slow down. You will find that if you're really controlling this with some weight, it's going to you're going to get tired pretty quick. Right. Things are going to kind of start to tense up. And we found that there is actually some increase improvements in tendon stiffness as you do this stuff so in adult, additionally there's enough stress with this the tendon you cannot do this every day this has to be it every other day or sometimes every t- like three day kind of thing you can g- give enough stimulus with this type of exercise to get the tendons to change and to build up strength in your calf and build up more stiffness in the tendon and get that back we found if you do this for long enough in some people Every, a lot of people will do super well. The outcomes with this are really, really good. So you'll see decreases in pain, improvements in function, improves improvements of jumping ability, improves of elasticity, improves of running, all this stuff. You sometimes will see changes in the actual structure of the tendon. Sometimes you won't, but everybody tends to see improvements in performance and all this stuff, okay? So it's kind of the best thing we have for rehab in terms of conservative stuff. Um, and even if you go do surgery for this, you need to do this stuff because you still got to build it back. Okay. But the problem is this takes 9 to 12 months. And how do you do this? Okay, So it's not an everyday thing. You need to do this with enough weight that you can only handle a couple reps. So my students know this really well. But a lot of you have probably heard three sets of 10 before, right? So how you dose exercise is extremely important. You will see very different changes if you take do like three to five repetitions of extremely heavy weight you'll see very different changes in your body compared to if you do like three sets of 10 with a lightweight. Three sets of 10 is like not really going to do anything. It's like just doing range of motion. If you want to load stuff and you want to build strength and change tissues, lower weight, higher rep. So the thing that I have told people, and I picked this up from Cal State Fullerton, one of the PhDs down there, is the rule of three to five. Three to five sets of three to five reps. And that means... When you're doing these heel raises, right, so the, the heavy slow resistance training or the eccentric heel drops, meaning the eccentric version is you're going up on two feet usually and then slowly coming on down on one or the heavy slow resistance training is you're on one leg and you're slowly going up and slowly going down. You should have enough weight that by the time you get to like four to five repetitions, you need a break and you can't do anymore, which most runners aren't used to producing that much force. And it's, it's a very foreign thing for them. If you just do three to five reps with no weight, you are not going to get any change. You need that higher rep with the lower weight or sorry, higher weight. Let me say it again. Higher weight with lower rep, kind of the multiple sets to actually make those tissue changes. This is why we say strength training shouldn't take that long. And Rich really mentioned this if you do good strength training for low extremity, it should take you 50, 20 minutes and you should be done if you're really going to do this as a runner, okay? And why I say this is you need to do this more than two, three days a week because if you do it right, you are not going to be able to do this the next day, okay? So be careful with your running with this, okay? Make sure you've got this strategic. But... If you want to make your changes, you got to load it heavy. And like I said, runners aren't used to doing that. I've joked about this on the podcast, but I really have two fifty-pound kettlebells, two seventy-five-pound kettlebells, and two hundred-pound kettlebells that I've been messing with to deal with my own tendinopathy, and it really works. So I'm up to doing seventy-five single-leg heel raises right now. That I'm hoping to work up to the 100, but my grip strength is limiting me me with the kettlebell, which I'm working on. But you need to do those and work up to those. And it needs to be progressive. As it gets easier, you got to add more weight. You don't necessarily have to get a 100-pound kettlebell, but getting 30 pounds, 40 pounds, 50 pounds can be really helpful to actually get enough stress to do this. Now, here's the thing. You got to do this for nine to 12 months. You got to get a habit out of this. You can't just be like, oh, I did this for four to five weeks, four to six weeks, and now it feels better. That's to be expected, right? Your pain's less. But remember, your pain isn't indicative of the tissue quality in the tendon. It's not indicative of your full function. It takes longer to make those permanent changes in the tendon. So you've got to create a progressive habit of loading this thing, heavy slow resistance training or heavy eccentric training for at least 9 to 12 months. And I tell people and a lot of people that I've worked with, you just need to make a habit. You don't need fifty freaking exercises, fancy one. You just need the one thing to really address this. So for the calf, single leg heel raise with higher weight, great. For hamstring, Nordic hamstring curls or single leg Romanian deadlifts, loading that thing, great. For patellar tendinopathy, doing single leg squats or single leg decline squats or just freaking heavy squats in general, slowly can is great. You don't. You just need one thing really. If there's anything else that's Obviously, influencing this and you see it, a healthcare professional says, hey, you know, there are some other risk factors like for Achilles tendinopathy, pelvic drop, which can come from gluteus medius, either coordination or a weakness problem. Yeah, maybe strengthening your hip muscles might help. But the most important thing is loading that tendon and getting it to change too. Okay, so nine to 12 months, just got to make it a habit. There are really easy times or my Cosmo is going to make a guest appearance right now. For those who can't see, the cat just jumped up uh, because he's being really needy. Um, got really great elasticity. So his tendons are working well for the moment. Um, so you need to make a habit out of this and keep doing this. And that's why I say just pick one exercise. Don't make things super complicated. You got one thing to focus on. And then the follow up you might ask is, OK, well, that's great. I've got my one exercise and I hate doing strength training, but I guess I'll do one thing. What do I do running wise? Same concept. So you need to progressively go into this. It means you can't just start sprinting right away. You got to slowly build a mileage, see so that get the tendon to respond to this stuff. If your tendon is too sore, by the way, the next day, it might mean you need to take a break either from running for a day or so or from the weightlifting because it needs to recover. The stress that you cause isn't what makes it better. It's recovering from that stress that makes it better. Please see one of our episodes where we talk about this because it's really important to understand that just doing a ton of this stuff doesn't help. It's doing it, loading it, giving it time to adapt, recover, then loading again. So it's the same thing with the tens, but they just take longer to adapt. So sometimes like twice a week with the stuff is good. Three to four can be a little bit much. Uh, certain people can handle that. So it's the same thing with running. You got to ease into this stuff, start with slower running. And then as you get into the later stages, you start adding some faster stuff, maybe a little, a stride here than there, maybe just a little bit of up-tempo stuff and just slowly loading this. And then we go back to the other thing was like the weight training. At some point, you actually need to work on the ability of the tenon to handle elastic energy storage. So once you've been doing this for a month or two, or if a lot longer, the one other exercise I might suggest is a little bit of hopping. And when I suggest hopping, people are like, oh, that's easy. And then they actually try to do it in their 40s, 50s, 60s. And they're like, wait, this is not as easy as it used to be. Yeah, because your tendons may not be the same, especially if you have a tendinopathy. So the ability to just handle jumping in place, even jump rope, is a great way to work on energy storage. And you actually have to work on that. And this isn't just like, you know, kind of like jump, stick the landing, jump. So it's you got to learn how to bounce again. And it's the same concept, by the way, as the strength training, lower repetitions and higher intensities tend to make a bigger effect. So instead of just bouncing gently on your foot, which you can do early on, as it gets better, you got to go a big bounce and really pop off the ground. And as soon as you hit the ground, pop back off, off again. That's a plyometric, by the way. Plyometrics, people think are just jumps. It's not a jump. It's a fast loading or fast eccentric immediately followed by a fast explosive motion off which that is what helps train your tendon and some of the interesting parts of the tendon to actually be able to ha- handle storage. So toward the later part, as you get into multiple months, you do need a little bit of that. You can also do that through some faster side spreads or sprints, right? Sprints by slowly easing that and again, less is more start with less slowly build it up, but and it's better to be a little bit more intense and do this less frequently than to be less intense and do it more frequently. Do it enough your body adapts to it and then come back to it. So what I'm hoping you get from this is not to freak out, by the way, but it's that if you have a tendinopathy, it means that there is a challenge with the ability of your tendon to tolerate load and to elastically absorb things and then release them if you're having a problem with this, what it seems like the current evidence is, is that you need to work to restore that stiffness. Some of the best ways to do that is you got to do heavier strength training. doesn't have to be a thousand pounds, but it's got to be something that makes you work. Okay. In a lower rep range with slower activities, slower eccentrics or slower range of motion stuff with that way. So single leg heel raise, like uh, Nordic hamstring curls, or you know Romanian deadlifts for hamstring stuff, or single leg squats or slow squats for uh, quadriceps or patellar tendon. You have to be able to restore that t- that stiffness in the tendon and the muscle strength, but you also need to work on progressively loading that thing up and to be able to handle energy storage. So that's where this thing seems to handle. When I go back to the isometric stuff, by the way, a lot of tendons, when they're irritated, some people respond super well to just straight isometrics, which always makes me wonder, are you just training the, the muscles' ability to protect the tendon more? So early on, isometric can be really helpful, but you pro- need to progressively load this thing over 9 to 12 months with heavier weights, and you teach it to handle energy storage again and learn how to bounce, which means at whatever age you are, once you get strong enough, you might have to work on learning to jump again. And it sounds super simple, but once you really learn how to hop again, that's a different story. So, lower repetitions and more quality is way more important for this, which is hard as runners because we just like volume. Doesn't work as well for rehab of tendons. So, can you change these things? Yes. Does it take a while to do this? Yes, it takes a lot of patience. And this is really hard for runners. And I am not judging anybody because I do the same thing. It just takes a long-term mindset, just like running. If you take a long-term mindset, you are going to go a lot farther than, oh, I'm just going to do these crazy things short-term and then burn out. Okay create lasting habits. If you create lasting habits with stuff, you'll stay healthy, right? You are going to, I know you hate us saying this, but you do have to strength train a little bit, right? Doesn't have to be an hour, two hours. It can be 15, 20 minutes, two, three times a week. That is more than enough, but you got to get yourself warmed up and be lifting a little bit more if you actually want to get strength changes. Three sets of ten with the lightweight isn't going to do anything. Remember, three to five, three to five sets of three to five reps with a heavier weight is going to make true strength changes. And if you do it the right way with some of the stuff we talked about, you can also make some tendon changes. So I hope that's helpful. And you might be asking what else influences this? And the answer is, I don't know yet. I got to get the last three subjects and finish this up. And then I'll be able to do another episode going, hey, this is what I found. So hopefully this was helpful. If you have any questions, let us know, because just like you, I also have questions and I'm also learning. Okay. As again, We'll get this stuff going. I'll get this research done and share what I'm finding so that you and I can keep ourselves healthy and running along and we can focus more on geeking out on shoes and stuff rather than going, what the heck is going on with my tendon? So as I said, again, I hope this was helpful. I hope it was educational. I'm learning just as much as you. Please check out all the different areas. We are, of course, on all the different areas of social media on instagram on linkedin on facebook bach as always is an incredible human being we call him the wizard because he is able to do amazing things and get content out there if you have any questions too, message us we try i know some for those of you we appreciate your patience please realize we all have full-time jobs a lot of us are also parents i have a as of tomorrow and saturday a three-month old right now um who my wife and i are learning very well with and my wife is a trooper but We have kids and jobs and all this stuff. So please be patient with us. But we do care. We will try to get back to you. And again, we hope this is helpful. If there's anything you're interested in having us talk about or see, we have some great mailbag episodes that are coming up. So send us some questions. And as always, we'll continue to geek out on Shoes too. Don't worry. But I hope this episode was helpful and you learned something. Because like I said, again, I'm learning just as much as you.